what we believe we believe. Why do I believe Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life? You want to be a Christian. You want to live the Christian life. But you've never learned how to live the Christian life. Hey, you're listening to Talia's Talk, a podcast on being complete in Christ, hosted by Buzzsprout. This month, we are continuing our discussion on the topic of the doctrine of the Trinity. The apologist Mike Winger has presented seven popular arguments and challenges to our understanding of the Trinity. Today, we will be looking at those challenges to see how our answers line up with Scripture. We are joined today by Caleb and Kristen Unwin, who will be discussing their answers and how early church thought helped develop our current understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. Please stay with us as we delve into today's discussion. Welcome to Tellius Talk. My name is Wendell Martins, and I am joined today with guests Caleb and Kristen Unruh. They're going to be talking with me about the Trinity. Last month, we had said that we were going to be talking about seven questions that Mike Winger had brought up on his podcast. And so I've asked them to look at those questions and have a discussion with me about what they've discovered. But before we get into that, I'd like them to introduce themselves a little bit. Uh, as a bit of a background, we went to the same Bible school together, uh, except that there was about 20 years apart between when I was there and when you were there. So uh, uh, if you want to say a little something about yourselves, uh, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm Caleb Unra, and I am currently finishing my bachelor's at Briarcrest. And okay. we both have the same bachelor's, actually. Uh, ministry okay. and a uh, minor in theology and we're also currently associate pastors at the newton church yeah and i've known Kristen for a little while because uh she attended newton uh before she, going out to briarcrest and getting to know caleb so uh i know uh you and i know your family fairly well your your father actually is my son's hero so that's yeah. kind of funny yeah, <laughs> yeah no, he was my hero too <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So he's he works for the RCMP here in town, and uh, and that's pretty cool to have him at a, at our church. Mm. Anyway, did you guys have fun looking at these questions and kind of reading about them and doing a little bit of uh, discussion and and uh, and dialogue? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, um, I love talking about the Trinity. It's certainly it's such a cool topic, and. I think a lot of people don't realize how important it is. Yeah. And how a lot of time we can get the Trinity wrong and how it's important to actually talk about what the Trinity is and the importance of it, especially to our theology and how that leads to how we practice our life as Christians. Yeah. 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 Why don't you tell quickly the story just about our youth group and what they call the Trinity? Oh, yes. Oh, sure. Our youth group is awesome. Um, we were introducing the trinity to them and we basically call it um cody's predicament which is one of our students in youth group and stuff because we went through it really fast and we drew the triangle and we were saying the son isn't the father and the father isn't the holy spirit but they're all god yeah and our student cody just goes yeah his mind was blown (laughs) and now it's called cody's predicament and it's this awesome inside joke in our youth group and we bring it up every night and when somebody new comes 
they're always like, do you know about the predicaments? Do you know about the Trinity? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I think the the Cody's predicament, as you call it, is something that's been around for thousands of years. So uh, <laughs> luckily, we're all in that same predicament, trying to understand the mind of God, which I think is kind of crazy on one hand, but uh, pretty awesome on the other hand, when you learn things. So I, I sent you guys these, these questions that Mike Winger had come up with, and uh, we'll just read through them and discuss them. I think a lot of these questions, uh, he called them the tough questions about the Trinity, but most of these questions are things that all of us have asked at some point in our lives. And some of them, I think we just take for granted and we say, well, how would you not believe that? And then there's some other questions that kind of are head scratchers. So uh, let's start with the first question here. It says, why isn't the word Trinity found in the Bible? Is it because the teaching of the Trinity doctrine is not biblical? Um, Michael Bird has been really helpful in discussing this and just yeah. And he talks about the Trinity not being a proof text, but a hermeneutic and kind of the idea that you can't just find a verse in the Bible that says God is three in one. But the entire story of the Bible, the story of scripture only makes sense, especially the New Testament, when you have the idea of the Trinity, it only makes sense through that idea. So the hermeneutic kind of meaning that it is the rule to read scripture through. And though there's not a proof text verse that you can point out we see many verses where it's implicit like jesus's baptism we have oh sure yeah the father the son and the holy spirit there and even in the creation mm -hmm. story now you have to pair the creation story with john one to see that jesus is there the holy spirit is there and god the father is there too yeah i know that last month when i had done the first part i was just talking briefly about the trinitarian idea especially when you read the story of baptism in the New Testament. It talks about baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say Trinity, but it uses that sort of Trinitarian language in, in the yeah. description. Yeah, and there's plenty of other verses, if you dig enough, that you can find that Trinitarian language. Sure. Revelation actually has multiple verses that use a Trinitarian yeah. language. I mean, Jesus' baptism is one that it's just... It's a very stark. It, it doesn't make sense unless you have that idea like the whole story of scripture doesn't make sense unless you have the idea of God being three in one, the Trinity idea. Sure. Yeah. Stanley Grenz is another, he's like a Baptist theologian. He's systematic theology is called the community of God. And he, okay. so his entire method of doing systematic theology is based on the Trinity. And also John Calvin, who is known a lot for Calvinism, kind of, of course that comes from his name, <laughs> but actually one of his, uh, his method in doing theology was also from a Trinitarian perspective where he started with the Trinity through his entire theology. It was very centering. For yeah, sure. for, yeah. which you can find his institutes. So. so the second question that Mike brought up was, how could Jesus be God if he said, the Father is the only true God? And that's from John 17, verse 3. Yeah, and this is where it gets kind of confusing. And John, especially the book of John, has been much debate over that i mean that's a lot what arian took when he tried to make the uh jesus less than god kind of almost john as a writer makes it clear very from the beginning of his uh book that jesus shares in the divinity of god i mean the idea of three and one tells us that there is only one true god so jesus is correct in saying the father is the one true god but yet this god is in three persons mm -hmm. And we see this with the Holy Spirit as well, where Jesus a lot of the time is bringing glory to the Father, 
Mm-hmm. And then we also have the spirit bringing glory to Jesus as well. So there's kind of this idea as they all have this relationship and they're all bringing glory to one another. I know that when I, when I read the question here, what I did is I went to the verse and I read the context of the verse and I found yeah. the context makes a huge difference because this is mm-hmm. part of what the bot was known as the high priestly prayer. Yeah. So Jesus had been talking to his disciples and they identified him. They said, you know, we understand that you're God and we believe that you're God. And so he ha- Jesus has this prayer, and in the prayer, he talks about uh, the Father being the only true God. But if we go earlier, like John 16, 25, Jesus says that there will be a time when he will no longer use figurative language. And I think that's important yeah. when reading the New Testament is to understand the type of language that's being used. You can kind of postulate into the prayer and into what you're reading that there are these elements of figurative language that Jesus yeah. is using to display his priesthood to the disciples. Yeah, and right in the verse, it says, like, if you read the full verse, it says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and yeah. Jesus Christ. It's almost like he's putting himself on the same level as he's even doing this, because sure. he's saying no. And that's kind of the idea of the book of John, too, is Jesus is revealing the character mm-hmm. of God. We see that sure. from the very start of him coming down in John 1. So the idea is that, if you know Jesus, you know God. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of what John is writing about. So Jesus is revealing the true character of God because He is essentially God. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The exactly. context of the passage and even the context of the entire book of John makes <laughs> it a lot more clear to understand. For sure. So I I was once told by one of my profs, uh, who I don't believe is at breakfast anymore, but he said that every word in Scripture can be used to describe God. When uh, and maybe I'll ask Kristen this question: When you're working with the youth, when you're getting ready to teach the youth, do you ever avoid any verses in the Bible because you think, "Well, how could I possibly teach God in this verse?" Yeah. I don't think we. Ever I don't do. think we do. No? Yeah, our style, I think, especially in doing youth ministry, is that we don't want to dumb scripture down because I yeah. think it really takes glory away from God. Right? For like sure. the Bible is inspired scripture so when we kind of take parts out of it pick and choose i think it's really diminishing glory to god learning about god and teaching these young people who really desperately want to know we're not giving them the full picture it's kind of like seeing a photograph really up close and you don't get to see the full beautiful picture of it until Mm -hmm. you actually like take it all in as like a cohesive story i guess or image yeah Yeah. Yeah. and if you pick and choose it kind of leaves it open to you being able to create god and kind of whatever image you would like yeah so what we do a lot in our with our youth group is just we take scripture but we also every verse we're working through we try to apply it to how does this make sense in the entire scripture like in the more grand view of god's redemptive plan like how does this make sense in that plan in the entire story of scripture Mm -hmm. yeah I think like with this verse, when we first talked about it, there's difficult verses. And you talked about in John, there's being some parts that are kind of like, oh, it's kind of hard to go through, but it, trying to not avoid scripture and trying to uh, read through it and find context and meaning and understanding mm-hmm. is very important. So the third question here is, how could Jesus be God if he says that the father is greater than he is? And that's from John 14, 28. Messy. <laughs> yeah, this one gets even yeah. a lot more complicated because there's actually a lot of disagreement on this right now as we sure. speak in the theological world. And I know one of our profs, 
she was really into this debate like she was actually going to like church council meetings and having this like trying to decide whether these people were heretics or not basically <laughs> so this verse has been the center of a lot of different controversies i think that there is a little bit of like uh confusion around it and i still sure. probably haven't all figured it out but so orthodox christians believe that jesus is equal in essence to the father but then some will argue from verses like this that he is subordinate in a role okay somebody like augustine uh interprets this to be that refer to jesus's humanity limited in the incarnation and this is like the verse in philippians where it says that jesus like became nothing like he came down like it was very like this process of god coming down to be human was very humiliating yeah so some will say that this uh idea of the father being greater is simply because jesus has taken on the flesh at this point so it's it's only related to the incarnation okay and then others have pointed to more internal distinctions between the father and son that do not compromise the son's divinity and the idea that we see wayne grudem and bruce ware uh how they talk about this now is they actually use this to help their complementarian uh view so they view jesus and god being like uh, male and female in the complementarian view. So male and female are equal, but then distinct in role. Headship wise. And headship wise. So mm -hmm. that's where they would say here that God the Father is has an authority over the Son, though they are still equal in essence. Okay. I would fall more towards kind of how Augustine views this passage. Also, John Calvin would view it sort of similar. John okay. Calvin also has another kind of different way of thinking about this too. He says the distinction here between the father being greater is their present state is that God is in heaven right now mm -hmm. and that the son is in on earth. And we see this kind of too, just in the entire story of Jesus is that he comes to earth and he suffered. And then uh, when he ascends to the father, it's almost like this glorification so that that now he's being brought up to there. So then Rachel Green Miller, who also, writes a lot about this debate as well. And she says that the father is not greater because he sent the son, but returning to the father is much greater than the voluntary humiliation of the incarnation. So we get that idea again, that this is due to the incarnation, the distinction between the father being greater in this sense is unique to the incarnation, that this isn't mm -hmm. an eternal thing, that this is, and to go back to Philippians two again, that uh, God came down and made himself nothing like, it was a humiliating act. And that shows how much God loves us for him to be able to come down and do that. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where we get that idea here. Well, I know that if you read, I think it's five verses earlier in uh, verse 23, Jesus says that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So he uses this um, Trinitarian language, we will make an abode. And I have to say that I would fall into the camp that Augustine, you know, Augustine's camp. Although I think the language that people like Wayne Grudem use is very popular because when I think of this, I think about God the Father being headship, but not so much headship in the Trinity, but headship in uh, an example to us as humans uh, of leadership, God being the example for us. I think to people like the idea of a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So when, when yeah. you give them a picture of like, three persons who are equal all on the same level it just doesn't like sit right with us yeah, so like yeah. that 
hierarchy where like the father is the highest and then the son yeah. and then the holy spirit well, sure. and also just yeah. and just the word father and son kind of yeah. immediately makes people think of hierarchy mm-hmm. yeah uh, michael bird also writes a book that goes way more in detail on this called trinity without hierarchy where he mm-hmm. argues against uh wayne grudem and bruce Ware. so they kind of go back and forth so if you want if you want to kind of see both uh, sides uh michael bird would be the one i would say to go on the one sure. side and wayne grudem is kind of the more popular one on the other side mm-hmm. yeah and i would say like in my library i've got uh wayne grudem's systematic theology book and i love it it's been great it's so easy to read and it's very clear in how he um sort of describes things but you need to be careful when you're listening to these guys some of them get some weird ideas like i know william lane craig has been uh huge for teaching for me i i'm i love his philosophy and all that but when he starts talking about adam and the original sin and where did man come from and stuff like that then i sort of check out because i was like i think we've gone too far off the other way right yeah like let's yeah. let's talk theology and and we'll keep it to that right so so question four that uh that mike winger brought up was who was Jesus praying to in John 11 verses 41 through 52 and then chapter 17? And can God pray to God? This is another interesting, like the Trinity is so, uh, it's such a complicated uh, doctrine. And I think just to add this in, even though it doesn't have really anything to do with the question, but just the Trinity, it gives us this picture of God. And I think a part of it is that God is transcendent and that it is hard to understand this. Absolutely. And that you're not going to fully understand it because, and I think that's a part of just who God is, is that we have to remember he's above us and that we can't come to full understanding of no. him. So there's a couple of different times that Jesus prays uh, to God in this, in the book of John. And what you'll find interesting is that all Jesus' prayers, God hears Jesus' prayers and that he also answers Jesus' prayers. Mm-hmm. Professor Wes Olmsted, who we studied John under, actually, he writes this, and I think this is a really good depiction of kind of how to understand this. He says that Jesus prays as the one whose will is so aligned with the Father's that he always asks for what God desires, and so he receives what he asks from the Father. So. Yeah. When we see Jesus praying, he's praying, his will is so aligned with the Father because the one divine will that he's praying what the Father wants to pray. And then we have to also remember Jesus is kind of our intercessor. And also, Mm -hmm. Jesus also provides us an example as well. So when we see Jesus praying and we see him praying for things that aligns with God's will so much, it's an example for us to learn how to pray, to Mm -hmm. learn to pray so much like Jesus, that our prayer is actually what God wants us to pray, that our prayer is now aligned with God the Father's Mm -hmm. prayer. Yeah. And 12, uh, 28 and to 30 in the verses in John, we also see Jesus pray, Father, glorify your name. And then the voice from heaven responds, I've glorified it and will glorify it again. So there you have an example of Jesus praying and then God answering his prayer like immediately, like, because their wills are so aligned that they're basically praying together yeah. almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is an interesting thing, but there is, and we can go too far when we talk about like, I know there's been some pushback against Stanley Grenz in talking about the community of God as the Trinity, but because mm-hmm. we can go too far by putting our own like humanity into the mm-hmm. Trinity. Yeah. But at the same time, there is, he does make a good point of 
this trinity is a relationship like there are three persons and they have a relations to one another Mm -hmm. and that also kind of shows us i think how we image god is relational because god is relational and we're meant to be real we're meant to be relational as well so when jesus is praying to god and having conversations with god it's because they are in relationship together even Mm -hmm. though those are still aligned together they're also somehow in a relationship together as well and they love one another and the same can be said with the holy spirit yeah i was wondering it is confusing sometimes when we consider that jesus desired to be in communication with other members of the trinity um unless you you think about the fact that he was fully human and god so the human portion of him desiring to be in communication with god but also being God, trying to be in communication within the Trinity, within that Godhead. Like the one verse that Mike, or one uh, portion that Mike talks about is for, is chapter 17 in, in John. Uh, well, at that point, he's interceding, right? He's in his office as a high priest, right? Yeah. So he's interceding for us to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, just looking at why, what's the reasoning for the prayer? And I think like in the coming months, we're, I'm going to be talking about the offices of Christ. And one of them is going to be talking about him as the priest. So we'll have to maybe flesh that out a bit more. Yeah, but yeah, that's a good point too. Kind of that, yeah, Jesus is interceding. In, mm-hmm. And this is that prayer, the high priestly prayer. Sure, so. yeah. Question five is how can Jesus be God and God's son? And can you be your own dad? Yeah, like like I said, it's we can't read our human relationships too much into the godhead mm-hmm. yeah but at the same time I this uh father-son relationship seems to be uh not based on like literal how we would see an earthly father yeah. that he has a wife and made a child yeah. um it's more of like an, a relational term to show mm-hmm. kind of the love between the father and the son mm-hmm. i mean i guess this kind of gets into the next question but the idea that God didn't create the son, but that the son was begotten from the father. Yeah. That he came out of his own essence. So there is kind mm-hmm. of a sending idea from God, the father to Jesus, the mm-hmm. son, kind of a sending. Sure. Idea. Yeah. I think if you ignore the divinity of Christ, then this question is very difficult to explain. You yeah. know, <laughs> because Jesus also said, I and the father are one. It says in John yeah. 10 30. And uh, Jesus was using divine, or as we talked about earlier, figurative language, right? Um, mm-hmm. To describe this Trinitarian nature of God that we're talking about. And although it's difficult to understand what Jesus was teaching, um, it's hard for us also to claim to know everything about how this works. Yeah. <laughs> so two more questions. Question six, was Jesus created? Uh, so that's from Colossians 1.15. And what does it mean to call Jesus the firstborn of creation? There's a poll. So Ligonier Ministries did a poll, and it said that 78% of Americans called Jesus the first and greatest being created by God the Father. And how do you answer that question? <laughs> well, I'd say that <laughs> 78% of Americans, I guess, are Aryans. <laughs> I mean, and that kind of maybe points to our, I don't know, American snobbery a little bit, kind of the idea that, this an- this question has been answered already. If sure. you look back at the tradition, yeah. uh, the Nicene Creed, this was the question that was on the table when they were discussing. Uh, so in, I think it was 325, the Nicene Creed, yeah. I think. Yeah, 325. The debate was, was Jesus a created 
creature. And Arian was the one arguing with his followers that he is a created creature. And he would have used verses like Colossians 1.15 make his point. But guys like Athanasius and actually St. Nicholas um, argued, so that's Santa Claus, <laughs> argued <laughs> against uh, Arian. And actually, a funny story is that St. Nicholas in one of the debates actually punched Arian in the face. It he threw recorded. some punches. <laughs> <laughs> Go Santa <laughs> Claus. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so... I won't read it off the Nicene Creed, but just if you want to know more, go and read the Nicene Creed and basically I'll give you a short summary. Or Athanasius also has a statement of faith that talks yeah. about this. But the idea of being begotten instead of created basically means that Jesus, he came out of the essence of God. It was the essence of mm-hmm. God that he came out of. It wasn't anything mm-hmm. different. He, he was begotten by the very nature of God, that he came out of the very essence of God. The conclusion of the of that church council was that Arianism was uh, decided to be a, a heresy and that Orthodox Christians would believe that Jesus is the only begotten word without beginning. And if internally, John one's very clear that Jesus was there in the very mm-hmm. beginning, that he has no end. And yeah. then uh, Revelation also talks about him being Alpha and Omega, like the yeah. beginning and the end. So he is there in the very beginning. Um, and then Colossians 1.15, they call him the firstborn of all creation. Um, Athanasius actually addresses this, and he says by calling him firstborn, he shows that he is not a creature, but offspring of the Father. For it would be inconsistent with his deity for him to be called a creature. For all things were created by the Father through the Son, but the Son alone was eternally begotten from the Father. Again, we have like figurative language and stuff like that, and we know that Firstborn doesn't always mean literally firstborn in the Bible because Israel is called God's firstborn. David is called the firstborn, Mm -hmm. and we know that that's not literally the firstborn. Sure. So, yeah, I think probably an idea that uh, Jesus here is ruler over all creation would be more what they're trying to get at here. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Well, I just had two thoughts. Um, and I, I was trying to find this quote, but I couldn't because I'm not sure if it was John MacArthur that said it or if it was um, R.C. Sproul. But he talked about Jesus being the firstborn in two lights. The one that you just mentioned in that Jesus Christ as part of the Trinity was always and has always been. He's the firstborn in that there was nothing before him. And then the other idea being that when Christ was born, when he was the first human to be born completely sinless. Yeah. So these these two ideas of of firstbornness, as it were, mm-hmm. in reference to, to Christ. That's that's interesting. That just also in my mind just goes to the idea of recapitulation. Recapitulation. I can't say that right, but like the idea that yeah, the idea that Jesus <laughs> is like the second Adam. So Adam, the sure. firstborn, of, and Jesus here is the second Adam, and yeah, the firstborn of creation to be like sinless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's definitely definitely could be what's going on in that verse too yeah yeah so that that takes us to our last question here which is if jesus is god why didn't he just say it can you show me a verse where jesus claims to be god um there are verses that claim and i mean we talked about john 10 30 earlier where he says the father and i are one that would be confusing if there was if jesus wasn't god that wouldn't make any sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it also wouldn't make any sense if he wasn't saying something 
that made him equal with the father, then why were people so upset, right? For sure. I mean, we have that kind of weird idea that Jesus speaks in parables and things so people don't understand. He says that and kind of that idea where doesn't want to just come out and say he wants us to contemplate the story and come mm-hmm. to faith as we contemplate the entire story of the Bible, of yeah. God's redemption plan, as we contemplate it to come to our own conclusions. And I have C.S. Lewis's quote written down here, but to come to the conclusion that Jesus isn't claiming to be the son of God. If you read through the whole story of scripture, especially the whole gospels. Yeah. Well, C.S. Lewis says, either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. Like C.S. Lewis kind of has, when he reads the gospels, he says, and he's kind of going against people who say, well, Jesus was, he wasn't the son of God, but he was just a really nice, good prophet a and good guy. moral teacher. And C.S. Lewis yeah, is like, yeah. either this guy is a demon and we need to kill him. Like either he was a complete yeah. madman, heretic, or he's correct in saying that he's the son of God. And he claims to have authority to forgive sins. He claims to have authority over all these things. And he actually claims titles and roles that are only for God. A strong understanding of the Old Testament also helps you too a lot here, where you yeah. see him paralleling these things that are usually only done by God the Father. And I mean, he also heals on the Sabbath. And when they say, oh, why can't you heal on the Sabbath? He says, well, the Sabbath is for men was created for man and God still works on the Sabbath. So why wouldn't I be doing my father's work? I mean, that doesn't make sense unless he is also God, if he's not following this human rule, right? Sure. Mark 2 verses 1 to 12, he heals a man and then he says he has the authority to forgive sin. So those are two things that wouldn't make any sense unless he is also divine. And John 10, 28, he also says the father is in me and I am in the father. Mm -hmm. And this was Athanasius's point too. A lot was just, if Jesus isn't the son of God, then we aren't saved. Yeah. He was like, that's why he was so concerned about Arian's claim, because if Jesus isn't divine, then none, then we're not saved. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I mean, the resurrection is kind of Jesus claiming to be God in a way, right? That's the final, like, yeah, I rose from the dead. Like, what else do you want me to do? <laughs> Again, like, there's no really proof text this, where Jesus says, literally, I am God, but he continually says it throughout the Gospels if you pay attention. Yeah. And I, when I was reading this question as well, I came up with three sort of points that two you've already hit on. Um, he says, I and the Father are one. Uh, later on, he says, he who has seen the Son has seen the Father. And then what you talked about, People being angry when you read about uh, Jesus being arrested in the garden and then brought before the Sanhedrin, they're asking him all these questions. At one point, they get so angry with him, they're tearing their clothes and they're just so angry. Well, here's this group of gentlemen who are extremely learned and they would have known scripture forward and back. And if what Jesus was saying wasn't basically what they would consider heretical, why would they have had any reason to be that angry? Yeah, if, exactly. if Jesus wasn't claiming to be God, they wouldn't have cared. Then they would have just said, you know what? He's just some weird sort of <laughs> fringe guy doing his thing. But th- they weren't. They were they were so angry they wanted to kill yeah. him. The only reason why is because he claimed to be God and they couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, too, when you look at the cultural sensitivities in the Near East like that, the way that they view things is different than our Western concept of relationship, too. And so he would not have had to have said outright, I am God. He could have acted on things and they would have read it much yeah. differently than what we do. Yeah. I forget who, I'm, who I was reading, but just the idea that God is love 
would not make sense unless God had somebody to love from the very beginning of time. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why this the doctrine of the Trinity is so important is because mm-hmm. that we claim God to be love. Yeah. And love needs someone, there needs to be someone to be loved in order to be love. God in his one divine will has three persons and the father can love the son and the son can love the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can love the son and so on and so forth. It gives us that grounding that God is love and he's mm-hmm. always been love. Like yeah. that's his defining characteristic since the beginning of time. Yeah. Just the idea too that because the Trinity is talking about who God is, if we get the Trinity, and of course, like I said before, there's part of the part of it that's just over our heads sure. and transcendent. But if we get the Trinity very wrong, we end up worshiping a different God Certainly. than the God of mm-hmm. Scripture, because yeah. that is who God is. Yeah. He is triune. If we get that wrong, we're not worshiping one true God. I think uh, Augustine, in his book City of God, talks about the gods of the Roman and Greek sort of mythology, and part of his point is that you worship all these gods and here's all their faults. Uh, how can you worship a God that's full of faults? And uh, then he introduces the uh, Christ. He introduces the God of Christianity and how there are no faults in him and his unique nature, which was so much different than what people were coming up with and people were designing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a really uh, long book to go through to get this basic tenet <laughs> that he's got, but uh, it's a, it's pretty good. Um, he does a really good job of, of explaining it as well. So, all right. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to discuss you and your character. And we just pray that this conversation uh, can get people to contemplate about you and come to know you and come to love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for joining me uh, this month in the uh, topic of the Trinity. Next month, I'm going to be starting talking about the offices of Christ. And uh, hopefully you get a chance to listen to that. I know uh, you had suggested you might want to talk about the kingship of Christ. And uh, so we'll come to that and we'll have another chance to talk with you guys. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Next month, Telios Talk will begin a new series on the offices of Christ. How do we understand the role of Christ as king, priest, and prophet? And how has that role been reflected in scripture? Don't forget to visit our Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube sites. We're always happy to visit and answer questions. Our Facebook page has discussions, articles, and links to the topics we discuss monthly. Keep us in your prayers as we prepare our podcast each month. We look forward to sharing with you again. Do we believe what we believe we believe?